Thank you, Tim and Cheryl. Great, great lyrics. If you have your Bible this morning, which I hope you do, there must be something calamitous that has to occur in your life to not bring your Bible. But if you did not bring your Bible, I understand there's one probably right in front of you in the back of that pew. I do not show the main text up on the screen behind me. That's why you need your Bible. And I'm being signaled from the back to tell you that if any high school grads walked in after the beginning of the service, um, please see Pastor Jason right after this service. He has a gift for you, and it's, uh, it's valued somewhere in the thousands, millions. Sorry, I underestimated your generosity. Yes, great, great eternal spiritual reward. So please see Pastor Jason after the service. One of my top five favorite mov- movies ever, and I bet perhaps one of yours generated this line, hello, my name is Inigo Montoya, you killed my father prepared to die. (laughs) Okay, Matt has seen it a few too many times. But the line, the line I want to bring you, by the way, it is kind of funny he said that because I was talking to him, was it yesterday? And he's the one that somehow brought this up. And I said, that'd be a great way to start tomorrow morning. So I built this in. Here's the line that that character said at the end of the movie. And this is what's going to sort of prepare our minds and our hearts for Romans chapter 12, verses 17 and 18. Here's what he said. I've been in the revenge business so long. Now that it's over, I don't know what to do with the rest of my life. Now, friends, let me ask you honestly, right at the beginning to think with me, to really examine your life, be courageous, because sometimes, I don't know if you're like me, but when I do really examine my life, I don't always like what I see. Do you retaliate when you're hurt? Do you pay back wrong for wrong? Is there somebody in your life, be honest, Somebody in your life right now that has hurt you and you have not yet tried to repair that breach. Even out of the mouth of babes, they are filled with sin. So let's really, that was a joke Tuesday. I just realized I could have really hurt you. See, I just did evil to you and now you got to love me according to Romans. This is great. We're almost to the end of Romans chapter 12. We began with verse 1. And we saw that God is pleading through the Apostle Paul. Really, you have to see it that way. This isn't just Paul writing to other human beings. This is God inspiring Paul with his own message, living and active into the hearts of Christians in every generation to do what? Well, he says to commit themselves fully to following God, to serving God. That, he insisted, is what it means to worship. So friends, here we go. Right at the beginning, a reminder. What does it mean to worship? Most fundamentally, and the Bible is creatively diverse in all of the nuances of what worship means, but most fundamentally, in the heart of God, to worship is to serve God. So the question is, how well do we serve God in every area of our lives? That's what worship is. In fact, what would we, why would we not do that, verse 1, when we can see or are in view of God's great mercy? 
all the way through Romans chapter 1 through 11, mercy after mercy after mercy has been taught to us through the Apostle Paul. Why would we not give God everything when he has given us his son? I mean, honestly, friends, can you really get those clear, lucid moments? Now, listen, look at me for a second. When you really see the extent of God's love through the cross, when you get that clear moment of reflection, how can we not give God everything? You really don't want to hold back. You're like me. There's times when, God, I wish that you would just grab everything from me. Why do I hold back? Well, it's really the purpose of Romans chapters 1, 12, verses 1 through 2. <laughs> and then Paul works his way through chapter 12, and it's like throwing a rock in a pond. And it hits the center of that pond, and out concentrically go ripples. Well, the first ripple we saw was that there are three characteristics of a fully committed believer. And then that ripple moved out as Paul progressed through chapter 12, and he showed us 10 obligations that all of us have if we're going to be fully committed followers of Christ serving him, 10 duties we have towards every person in the church. And we didn't really like all of them. All right, I didn't really like all of them. I'm kind of guessing that you might have not liked all of them because they're difficult to do. But guess what? As the ripples go out, it gets harder. And we need the Spirit of God to help us because it goes out again. And Paul showed us seven duties that we all have towards all people, whether they're Christians or not. And now today we're going to start looking at five obligations, five duties that fully committed Christians have with, with those who are our enemies. Repay no one, verse 17, evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Verse 18, if it's possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Very, very easy to read. Extremely difficult to live. Amen? Five obligations that fully committed believers have with those who are our enemies. Here's number one. You ready? I hope you got your outline out. I'm going to give you a little bit of the, uh, the meanings of the words, but some thoughts to consider. Number one, Paul is saying, do not make payments on evil. Do not make payments on evil. Now, let me take you back just a few weeks, okay? If you have your Bibles open, look at verse 14. Because we saw in verse 14 that we are to bless those who persecute us. Now, you remember, right, what persecute means. Persecute means to pursue somebody with evil intentions to bring them harm. That's what it means to persecute. And when somebody is persecuting me, if I'm going to live out fully committed service to God in view of his mercy, then my response cannot be to retaliate. My response has to be to bless them. How do I bless the one that's persecuting me? Well, the way that God teaches us to bless is to pray that he would bring grace, mercy, and goodness to the very one hurting me. Wow. That is extraordinarily difficult. And not only bring grace, goodness, and mercy, but to bring it for the purpose of turning that person to Christ. 
so that that person could have eternal life. So somebody's persecuting me and pursuing to hurt me. I'm to bless them so that God's grace, goodness, and mercy would bring that person to him. That's what it means to bless those who persecute. Here, Paul zeroes in on our Christian conduct toward those who are evil against us. Now listen, Paul just ratcheted up a notch. First he said in verse 14, persecuted. Now he's talking about evil. You know what evil is, don't you? Let's just be really clear about this. Evil is the heartbeat of Satan. Let's just be super simple and reductionistic and get the the core meaning of it. Evil is the will of Satan. And when somebody does evil to us, now listen, they are living out the will of who? Isn't that simple? Man, that's clear. Here's Satan attacking us, the child of God. How are we going to respond? That's the way Paul is making us look. And he says, saying the same thing that Peter said in 1 Peter 3, 9. Peter said this, Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for, or, for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. There's that word again. For to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. Now, let's be practical. Usually, if a neighbor does something nice for you, like mow your lawn while you're on vacation, it creates a sense that you're in that person's debt. Now, that's sort of wired fundamentally into all of our hearts. If somebody brings you a pie, ladies, one of the neighbors, isn't there a lot of you that don't send that pie dish back empty, you put something in it? There's a sense that when somebody does something nice to us, it creates a sense that we're in debt to that person. So maybe when they go on vacation, you see their grass growing, you want to mow their lawn because they did it for you. That's the way it works. But Paul says this. He says in Romans 13, 8. Now listen, you've got to get this. This is so, in, I think, in, in unbelievably fundamental to what, how we ought to live. He says this. Just flip your page over one, one page, or at least in my Bible, it's one page. Look at chapter 13, verse 8. Owe no one anything. Now, we automatically think money. And indeed, it might be, but look at what Paul says, except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Now, let me explain that. You ready? I've got to have your attention. This is so important. We are permanently in debt. Christian, you will never, ever be out of debt. Ever. Because we're in debt permanently to the to Christ for the love that he's poured out and lavished on us. You've never given back anything close to what he's given. I haven't either. It's a debt that you cannot hope to repay, yet we are constantly to pay against. And how do we do that? We do that by loving others. You might think, but that person has never been kind to me. So how can I be in debt to her? All of us are in debt to Christ. 
And he accepts installments deposited toward each other in the form of genuine, loving action. And because the Holy Spirit lives in his people, us, if you're in Christ, you've always got the ability to pay. And the more we do, the more willing, the more joyful that payment becomes. But our flesh, friends, wants to make a different kind of payment as well. And it's that negative deposit that Paul has in mind here when he writes in verse 17, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Now, friends, why is this good counsel? Can I offer you three reasons why I think this is stellar counsel from the Apostle Paul? Here's number one. See if this is not true in your own experience. Retaliating always makes the situation worse. Why is this good counsel? Simply, when we retaliate, it escalates. Conflict gets worse when we retaliate, just like a fire gets hotter when you add the wood. Now, let me give you a perfect, brilliant illustration of this. You ever been to a childhood baseball game? The umpire makes a couple calls that are questionable against your son or your daughter's team. Watch the coaches and watch the parents. And as the parents begin shouting out critical statements to the umpires, you can feel, can't you, the tension and the atmosphere rise until somebody explodes. I had this happen just a few years ago when Matthew was playing. One of the parents started screaming behind the backstop at the umpire. The umpire started screaming at the parent to the point where he finally called the police and that man was escorted off the property. He refused to go. A fight just about broke out until a bunch of parents intervened. This is what happens. Evil for evil increases the problem, right? Now look at point number two. Why is this good advice? Look at this one. We usually give back more than we get. Don't we tend to do that? Come on. When somebody mistreats you and you want to get even, don't you give back more than what you got? That's the tendency. Now we might say eye for eye, tooth for tooth, because friends, listen, that's the only verse in all of scripture, I think, that the flesh agrees with. But that's only because our flesh is ignorant of what it really means, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Can I explain it to you? Here it is from Exodus 21. But if there is harm, then you shall pay life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. Now I want you to notice something. Notice that the response is perfectly equal with the offense. It's not greater than, it's exactly the same. You see, this law wasn't given by God for the purposes of revenge and retaliation. It was for perfect justice, A, and secondly, it was to put a restraint on violence because all of us tend to give back greater than what we get. But there's a third reason, I think, why, why, why this is such great advice. 
It's because retaliation ruins our Christian testimony. It ruins it. Nothing ever good for the kingdom of God was ever accomplished through retaliation. Nothing. But many a testimony for Christ was ruined by repaying evil for evil. In fact, Leon Morris, a theologian writer, he put it this way. He says, Paul here is calling on Christians to live out the implications of the gospel. Their lives are to be lived on such a high plane that even the the heathen, the unsaved, will recognize the fact. They will always be living in the sight of non-Christians. And the way they live should be such as to commend the essential Christian message. And so Paul elsewhere says the same thing in 1 Thessalonians. He says, see that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seeks to do good to one another and to everyone. Telling someone to do, let me bring this, to me this is really interesting. Maybe I can even slip in a teaching moment for just a second. To tell somebody to do something and not explain how, it's not only unfair, listen, it's called moralism. And moralism is always taught against. It's what the Pharisees and the scribes were embroiled in. You want an example of moralism? Parents, when your child misbehaves and you only deal with the behavior, that's moralism. Because the problem is not the behavior. The problem is the heart that produces the behavior. And to tell them not to do something, but to give them no way of learning how not to do it, it's moralism. Paul never slips into moralism. Whenever he tells us what we ought to do or not to do, he always teaches us why and how. And he's going to do that for us. Look what he says. Second half of verse 17. But give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. You know what he's saying is this. Think through evil before it occurs. Now, Pastor Tim, that sounds like moralism. Well, it's really not. And let me help you understand why. Many interpret this verse to understand that Paul is telling us how to make everybody happy, how to become a people pleaser. But that would not only be impossible, you can't make everybody happy, but it would go against what God has asked for us to do. So Paul uses one of his favorite techniques, and I want to show you this throughout Romans chapter 12. Have you ever noticed that the word but occurs quite a bit? It's a contrast word. The way I see it when I'm studying this, I see Paul literally taking a coin and saying, do not do this, and then flipping it over and telling us what to do and how to do it. Let me give you some examples. Verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, but, flips a coin, be transformed. And he goes on and tells you how. By the renewing of your mind. Verse 3, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment. What and how? Verse 16, do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. He keeps flipping the coin. Verse 19, beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. Verse 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You see, Paul never slips into moralism. He teaches us how and what. 
And here in verse 17, he says, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable. What's that mean to give thought to do it? Come on, if he's going to tell us what we've got to do and so that we will not repay evil for evil, then we, we really do need to know what it means. The phrase literally, the phrase give thought to do literally means to think beforehand. It means to plan before it happens and carefully. That's what this phrase means in the Greek. It means to think before we act, but even more than that, it means to think before the situation even occurs. Now, I don't know if you remember the James series, but in chapter 1, verse two, 3, I think it was, consider it all joy when you encounter trials of various kinds. We learned that that word consider means to lead your mind through the trial so that you stay vertically connected to God in hope and perseverance. It's a similar meaning here. It means to think before it occurs. It's not to be ruled by feelings, but by truth. Now, friends, do you know how many relational shipwrecks happen when the caboose of emotions gets ahead of the locomotive of truth? When the caboose is pulling your train, there will be a shipwreck, a train wreck. And Paul is constantly, as all of Scripture does, putting that caboose back on the end of the train. It's truth. It's your thinking. It's your mindset. It's the mind of the heart that ought to create the emotions that ought to be flooding us. And it's a discipline that the Bible presents as the key to fully committed Christian living all throughout the Bible. We call it, the Bible calls it, the renewing of the mind. Now you heard me say discipline, right? Sometimes these words just flip through our mind. We don't think of it. Discipline means something that is gained only through repetitious, continuous effort. It's a discipline to have your mind renewed. And it clears up the static that this world creates that makes it difficult, almost impossible, to hear from God the way you ought to live. Renewing the mind clears that static so you can hear it and choose to live it. And it goes down into your heart and creates transformation. Look what Paul says, but give thought to do. Notice what comes first. When the doing comes before the thinking, we're in trouble. Paul says, think through, plan carefully before you do. Don't react. Don't respond to evil people until you've thought through it to the end. Now, to be honest with you, we're, we're all kind of used to looking at this verse and thinking of it in a negative way. Or in other words, don't retaliate. Whatever you do, don't blow your testimony. That's the way we read this typically. But Paul is pointing us in a complete opposite direction. He's saying this, think through how, listen, you can bless that person who is doing evil to you. How can you bless God in this situation? 
How can you maintain your Christian testimony that could be a powerful, offensive for the kingdom of God? And be redemptive examples to the very one doing evil to us. You see, it's not only don't do this, it's in addition, here's what you ought to do. He says, be honorable. We're to think through evil to the goal of bringing glory to God and honor to that person. Friends, listen. Someone somewhere is going to do evil to us. That's an incontrovertible expectation. It means it's not going to change. It will happen. Maybe, like the girl I heard about yesterday evening, you'll get your car broken into. And things that you've had to pay your hard-earned money are going to get stolen from it. Maybe, like you're reading in the news in the Middle East, you're going to get raped and tortured for your faith. That's happening to him because he would not marry his fiancée and convert to Islam. He was killed. Maybe it's going to be that somebody that you thought was a close friend is going to turn against you and gossip and give away information that you held secretive. Or maybe you're going to get fired from a job because the boss just didn't like you. Isn't it true the potential situations for people doing evil are endless? They're countless. And how we're, how we respond to those who do evil to us, the Bible says, look what it says, verse 17, must be honorable. But what does that mean? What's it mean to be honorable? It means that which is noble, beautiful, and excellent and will provide a special or superior benefit. That's what it means in the Greek to be honorable. It means to live and respond in such a way, ultimately you honor the person and you bring glory to God. What we do when receiving evil should be beautiful, it should be excellent in the sight of all, Paul says. So that it brings credibility to our witness, glory to our God. And people can watch how we live and whether they know that we're Christians or not, they know something is different. So what ought to be our response when people actually do evil against us? Paul says, first, don't retaliate. But how, how do we not retaliate? He's taught us, think through it to the end. And live in such a way as it brings honor to both that person, everybody watching, and God himself. And thirdly, learn to be a peacemaker. You know, someone once said, the more I get to know the human race, the more I love my dog. I pretty much can guarantee you I will never say that about my dog. <laughs> Rusty is Satan. But... <laughs> A furry version. But here's what Paul says. If possible, so far as it depends on you. Now listen, friends, there's a lot of truth in here. Let's grab it. You ready? Sometimes peace 
in a relationship just is not possible. Now listen. But Paul makes clear, never let the reason for that be us. If peace just cannot be possible, never let that be because of us. Because sometimes peace can't be possible. Now, friends, you're going, we're going to see this more and more. I am utterly convinced that our country is descending fast into moral decay, worse than I've ever seen it in my 42 years. And light cannot possibly hold fellowship with darkness. The two can't mix. The claims of Christianity do not easily mingle with the ethics of the world. And there's going to come a time when the battle has to be fought. And when it does, Christians, we can't run from it. And because we're not going to compromise what we believe, it may cause, and I think it will cause, oftentimes, an unbridgeable chasm between the Christian and the non-Christian. This is directly the teaching of Jesus Christ. Look what he says in Matthew 10. Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. Sometimes a little bit contrary to what we sing at Christmas time. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, like that's very difficult. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. In other words, friends, listen, a fully committed follower of Christ will experience division within their relationships, sometimes even in their own families. I can't tell you how many times when we're doing membership interviews, Somebody comes from a religion outside of Christianity, and because they're now a Christian, that family, there's a schism in there. And whatever they do, it just cannot seem to bridge that gap. This is what Jesus is talking about. But just like it takes two to quarrel, you don't have a fight by yourself Unless you need medication, it takes two to reconcile. Let me explain that. Our responsibility is to make sure that our hearts truly desire to be at peace. That we would be willing to go to great lengths short of compromising God's truth and character to build bridges to those who hate us and harm us. Paul says, live peaceably with all. What's that mean? What's that phrase, live peaceably, mean? You know what it means? It's beautiful. It depicts the binding or joining together of something that was previously broken. Because peace produces, God's peace creates rest, the the Bible says. Well-being, the Bible says. Prosperity of the soul, the Bible says. And when we exercise peace, and it can actually happen between two fractured parties, then a rebinding, a reuniting occurs. And Paul says, make that not just something you do periodically. Live it. Make it your lifestyle, your mindset. If there's even a small opportunity for peace, Paul says, take it and live honorably in the sight of all. Friends, can I be the first to admit, I think I'm right with you on this. I think you're going to agree with me. This is utterly difficult. 
And let's, get, let's just take that one more step. It's utterly impossible in the flesh. There's nothing in my sinful nature that lends towards agreeing with those who want to hurt me or building a bridge with one who's done evil to me. Nothing is in my flesh that motivates me towards that. And if I do that, God willing that I do, it's because the Spirit of God is doing a work through the renewing of my mind that I have the motivation and the desire and the will and the power to bind that which was broken. It's the same for you. As our minds are renewed, we are transformed by the power of of the Holy Spirit who promises, listen, promises to supply all the power you need to do what he has asked you to do. So can I ask again, like I did at the outset, has someone done evil to you? Have they hurt you? How have you responded? Did you retaliate? Or did you bless Did you get revenge or did you move towards them in peace? That's the call of a fully committed believer. Let me share this with you as we close. There's a lot of high points in ministry. A lot of high points, a lot of blessing. There are some low points. And sometimes those low points come when there are people in the church that want to hurt others. And it's no surprise to you, none, I'm sure, that there are people who get discontented in a church and they get angry and they get that anger never, ever stays static. It's a dynamic emotion. It spreads to resentment. And once you get resentment, it spreads to bitterness. And Bible says in Hebrews, be wary of a root of bitterness, which spreads and defiles many. And when it gets to that point, when somebody in our church has gotten to bitterness, the way it spreads, listen, the way it spreads is they go out and interview other people in the church. Did you notice this was happening in the worship? Or did you notice that what Pastor Tim said or this Sunday school teacher was wearing? And you look for your audience that feels the same way. And once you start recruiting and you build your database, you build your companionship, and then you legitimize your feelings. And when you legitimize bitterness, you're in a world of problem and the church is hurting. And that happens. It happens to every church. We're no exception. It can happen in me. And it has happened here and we've had to, to discipline at some time, at various times. And I want to tell you about one of those times. This was a person in the church that was a ministry leader. And that ministry leader was discontent, upset with some of the decisions that the church was making. It began to talk to other people in back corners and rooms in the church and recruiting and trying to find an audience. And the board, the elders had to step in. Thank God We've got men of God on this elder board. And we went to that person, we invited them in, and we listened, and we tried to intervene, and yet nothing seemed to stop this until it came to the point where we had to exercise church discipline, and we removed that person 
from leadership. We kept them in their membership, but said to them that now an elder has to come alongside you. And one of our elders did weekly and faithfully came alongside to listen and to pray and to counsel and to love and to restore. One of the greatest, and I'm not exaggerating, the greatest moments in my ministry career of 14 years was months after that occurred, bringing that individual back into that elder board and having the blessing and the privilege of reinstating full membership and reconciling that which was fractured. There's nothing greater and there's nothing worse than when we give evil to one another. Friends, let's not do that. Let's love one another in and out of this church. And when somebody comes at us with evil, do not retaliate. Bless. And if it's possible, repair. And if it's not possible, you're free in your conscience to live honorably in the sight of all. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for Paul. Thank you for Romans. Thank you, Father, for this church. Lord, I love this church, and I love these people. And Lord, I pray that we would not hurt one another, that we would not hold on to resentment and bitterness. Lord, we all fail. Lord, give us enough grace to cover. Give us enough honesty to go and talk. But Lord, when people hurt us, when they come to us with evil intent, Lord, doing the will of Satan, I pray, Father, that we would see and give thought through it, carefully plan out our response. And Lord, may it not be one of retaliation. May it not be one of revenge, which we're going to see even more next week. Lord, I pray that it would be one of grace and mercy and goodness. And if it's possible, as far as it depends on us, Lord, I pray that we would live peaceably and restore that bridge. We need help, Lord. This is so difficult to do, and you know that. Nobody honored, nobody modeled this better than the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray that you would give us encouragement and strength to do it. Give us the power of the Spirit of God. And in your name we pray, amen.